0: Bienvenidos y welcome to Siéntate y Hablemos, a show brought to you by El Centro at Elon University with your hosts Nico, Maggie, y Gabi. Bienvenidos y welcome to a new episode of Siéntate y Hablemos. Today we have a guest, we have a new series coming on. It's called Being Latinx and since Latinx can cover so many different people and it's not just one part of somebody's identity, we wanted to highlight the whole entire culture of, of Latinos and what, what that encompasses, what identities also come with that. So yeah, today we have of course uh, me, Nico Gaspar, and we're missing Gabby and Maggie today, but we do have Mackenzie and Valentina for you. And our guest for today is Mr. Tyrone Jean. Thank you so much for taking the time with us. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. Do you want to introduce yourself, talk
1: about what you do here at Elon? Sure, sure. So welcome, and thank you all for having me on this podcast. So my name is Tyrone Jean, and I serve as the Assistant Dean of Students and Director in the Center for Race, Ethnicity, and Diversity Education here at Elon. My primary role and responsibility is to advocate for underrepresented students. Um, and in that role, I do that through a lot through diversity education. I do that through you know, different educational workshops, but I find myself often at, uh, at different tables across the institution, advocating for students and making sure that they have a uh, quality experience and that their voices are heard. Um, so that's first and foremost, sort of my, my role and responsibility, or how I view my role and responsibility here at Elon.
0: Perfect. Thank
1: you so much. I guess
0: I forgot to mention that today's episode of to, um, Being Latinx and is about being Latinx and Afro Latino. And Tyrone, what what brought you to Elon to this position? What what um what brought you to 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 pursue this career?
1: I think in many ways my identity shaped shaped my coming to to become a part of a higher education. Um, you know, my mother born and raised in El Salvador, my father born and raised in Haiti, and met both of them met here in the United States. So. so I grew up both, you know, in a black and brown household, but more importantly, a black and brown neighborhood. Um, and so, being exposed to, you know, certain ways of living, growing up, hearing different messages around education, the value of education ha- was instilled in me at a very, very young age. And so, you know, sort of uh, college was was not optional; it was like the thing you have to do. And so, ended up in college, and you know, came across some mentors who really ushered me into pursuing higher education, they felt that because of my leadership roles in college that I should pursue a, a career in higher education. So when I was in college, I was a member of a historically Latino fraternity. I was our president of our uh, equivalent of Mi Gente. Uh, and we also had um, at, at the University of Virginia where I went to my undergrad, there were 13 uh, Latinx Hispanic organizations. And so there was a, an umbrella organization called La Alianza. Um, and, I, and I was the chair of that during my time there. And so through all of my work with students, work with, with at that time, they were my peers, um, mentors were like, you know, you, you would fit well in higher education. So, you know, the, the the rest is sort of history. I sort of fell into it. Um, I've loved what I've done. And I've, since since that time, you know, be, being a student identifying as Latinx and both Black, I've always felt like it was my responsibility and duty to advocate for these students in, in whatever aspect, making sure that they have access to resources, making sure that they have a successful experience and making sure that they take advantage of all of the opportunities available to them.
2: That's super wild to think about that there were 13 Latinx organizations on your campus like yeah. you <laughs> know, we have two and I think sometimes even we struggle we struggle to keep those as a really strong campus presence. So yeah. I just yeah. imagine that was a really rich environment to like start your your diversity work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Very very rich environment, and I think it also speaks to the the diversity of the Latinx-Hispanic community, the fact that there's so many different organizations, right? So there was a Brazilian club, and there was a club that was philanthropic in nature called Towards the Better Latin America, Um, and so many different organizations there, but I think that is demonstrative of the the, the diversity within the Latinx-Hispanic community.
2: And what was it like being both Black and Latinx within that space? Like, I know a lot of times we think of, like, the Latinx look or identity. So did you come across any like discrimination or any kind of dissonance with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I had a lot of different experiences, um, racist experiences, you know, the University of Virginia is is an institution in the South. Um, And so, you know, I was born and raised in Maryland. And so while it's not quite the South, it's sort of that Mason-Dixon line. And I had a lot of different experiences when when I went to UVA. Being both Black and Latinx, I think the experience What shaped my experience is people's reactions to me because I I think they didn't really know what to expect. Right. So, um, I remember walking in uh, back then we didn't have, I mean, we had internet. I'm not that old, but there wasn't a lot of social media, for example. Right. So you, I got a, I got a slip in the mail with my roommate's name and I'm sure he got one with my name. And so when I showed up and you know i was like hey nice to meet you he didn't know what know what to say i didn't know what he expected when he read tyrone Jean, right and so i had a lot of experiences where students really didn't know where to put me in terms of categories right my name was tyrone but i was in a historically latino fraternity i think people were just like and i got this question what are you a lot um and i found myself having to justify and, and 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 explain who I am, where I'm from. And I had to learn to just be comfortable in my own skin and embrace my sort of multiracial identity, multi-ethnic identity um, and talk about that. I mean, I also think that, you know, even from my uh, my Black side, specifically, my family's from Haiti, right? It's a a Caribbean country. And so being in the South, there were African-Americans who would say things to me that were, you know, not inclusive of the full diaspora of the African diaspora, and I would have to challenge them on that, right? Um, and so I had a lot of different types of experiences where I felt like I was often defending my identity and letting people know that I that I am proud to be both, mm-hmm. um, and that has been a sort of a journey for me, um, just coming to terms with both of my identities, because I feel like you know when somebody asks you and you say I'm Latinx or Hispanic, you feel like you're rejecting the other part of you. Or if you're if you say that I'm black, you know, you have to say that you're Latinx or Hispanic because you're, you're rejecting that piece.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and you, you, you mentioned it a couple of times now, you being part of Lambda Upsilon Lambda, the historically Latino fraternity. What drew you to, to that fraternity, to that organization? And especially why a Latino fraternity? Because there's also historically black fraternities. And so which, how, how did you go about picking those?
1: Yeah. Um, so I was exposed to Greek life um, in high school because I was a football player and my my, my um, college coaches were a part of Black greek lettered organizations. And so I was familiar with uh, sort of the cultural aspects of Greek life. And then when I got, and I grew up in a predominantly Black and Brown neighborhood, right? And when I got to college, I had never been around I've been around educated Black men, but I've never been around educated Latinx men ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started doing my research about different uh, Greek-letter organizations because I felt like being a part of a football team in high school, you felt part of a family, and I was looking for that same family feel. But the organizations that I that I researched and you know went to like did different information sessions at the University of Virginia, I never felt like they were fully embracing my full racial identity. They wanted me to focus on my, and concentrate on my black identity, which was great, right, in and of itself. But I felt like I wanted to embrace both of my identities as as Latinx and black. And so when I met, when I went to an interest meeting or information session, with Lambda Upsilon Lambda, the gentleman there talked about their founders being African-American, Pakistan, Jordanian, and Latinx. And I was just like, that's pretty cool, one. And then they told me that, you know, they would help me understand who I am from all of my identities. And so that really spoke to me. And the fact that the brothers at that time were majority Latinx identified, I had never, again, been in a room with, with so many educated Latinos. And i was just like, wow, like this is something that i've not experienced and so i just wanted to become a part of that and then that's when sort of my passion and desire to want to mentor young latinx men black men just sort of emerged from my own personal experience Um, so that's how sort of how i got into the organization i mean that's super interesting and it's super cool to hear your
0: experience especially having to navigate it seems many different spaces with your identity going into black spaces and going into more latinx spaces did you face like criticism from either one or was it warmer on other like did people like embrace oh man you're black and latino like was it different for for each identity i guess like for when you came into black spaces were you were you inclined to almost hide a little bit more the latinx side of you and when you came into latino sides like how how was that navigating both of those two spaces
1: yeah When I reflect back on my time in college I I feel as though I was probably most embraced by the Black community even though I was a major leader in the Latinx Hispanic community. I'll be honest like I don't I'm not a fluent Spanish speaker and I feel as though Spanish is so essential to Latinx Hispanic identity and it's not a part that I have right but that I had to learn that that doesn't make me any less Latinx or Hispanic it just means that I don't have access to certain people because I don't, because I, I can't communicate in the same tongue, right? And so, in my experience, I have felt that being a part of the Latin, Latinx and Hispanic community and not knowing Spanish put me at, I don't want to say a disadvantage, but it created a barrier there. And I I always like wanted to, wanted to break through that barrier. And you know, I, I took Spanish classes and, and I was better at conversation, but. You know, I I think there were some situations where people, you know, questioned my Latinidad because I didn't speak Spanish. But, you know, again, this was sort of earlier on in my college career. I mean, once people knew that I was in LUL and I was the president of of, uh, Mi Gente equivalent and they're just like, oh, I mean, he's definitely both. And so I was able to sort of traverse both worlds in in that respect, which is a a tough thing to do, I think, being, being Latinx and. For sure, for sure.
2: Yeah, that's definitely something that I resonate with, Ty, because I didn't grow up speaking Spanish either. But, you know, people a lot of times, like, look at you and they take, like, a quick, quick guess and they, like, start speaking to you in Spanish. And it's like, oh. So for me, I know that was a big part of coming into my own Latinx identity is, like, trying to better my Spanish and put myself in situations where I had to, like, contend with that uncomfortableness. And like you said, kind of, like, get over it in a way and still embrace your identity so I'm curious because I know we've talked a little bit and you have a baby you have a son
1: yeah. what
2: like how are you you know kind of helping him he's still very little I think like how are you yeah. helping him kind of navigate these different identities are you teaching him Spanish are you teaching him another language
1: yeah yeah funny enough and so yeah I do have a, a my son will be three next month and, oh. and I also have a one on the way so the, the second will be here in April
3: oh my gosh Congratulations. Okay. Congratulations.
1: Awesome. Um, so, yes in terms of raising raising my son it is um my wife is is colombian born here in the united states uh, but her family is from uh colombia and so when I married into, into her family, they instilled in me also the importance of speaking Spanish, right? And so while her family speaks English, when I'm around them, they speak to me solely in Spanish. And so I and I understand, I would say 85% of Spanish, I'm just not really confident in my speech, right? And so with my son, I've learned that I have I speak a lot of Spanish to my son, I'm probably exclusively in, in Spanish. Now, is it gramm- grammatically correct? Probably not. UI yeah. piece words together to get get the message across, yes. You know, any screen time that he has, uh, whether it's watching Disney Plus or anything, everything's in Spanish. All of the questions we ask him, we pointed out in Spanish and English. So it's very important to us that we raise him to be bilingual because I feel as though it is a part of me that I didn't get to experience growing up. Because um, even though my, my mother's primary language was Spanish and first and is and, and a native speaker, um, she also knew English. Um, And so in that same way, I I have even more limited knowledge of Creole as a language, but I do teach my son Creole as well because that's, you know, I I think it'll it'll help him bridge his identities once he, you know, gets older and and starts to understand this a little bit more. And I do, uh, you know, he's young, right? And so I I supply him with books around different cultures and, but, you know, as a almost three-year-old, he doesn't understand a lot of the concepts quite yet, so. Right, right. Yeah,
0: and how? That's so interesting because I was raised pretty much the same way. Where like, once I like, since I was a baby, like, I was in a fully Spanish speaking household. Both of my parents, like, my mom is white, but she's fluent in Spanish, and my dad is from Spain, and so we grew up in a fully Spanish speaking household. And I learned English from going to school and like talking with my white grandparents that didn't know any Spanish. So I learned it in like the streets with my friends, but I never like. I always spoke Spanish at home, but I wanted to ask you a question of like, how do you celebrate both of your identities and like what um, ways can you go through that to just, you know, show your pride in your identities and what things do you do for that?
1: Yeah, I think first and foremost, it's really important to to the extent that you can. I mean, I, I realize this is a very privileged position that I would sit in, but being able to go to these countries and explore what they offer. Looking at the history, looking at the culture, looking at the food, looking at the music, looking at the ways of living, I think is very important and that, that's something that I'm hoping to provide for uh, my children. That's one way I celebrate it. I think another way is is really understanding where you come from and understanding the, the origins. Like I, I, I'm i able to trace back my indigenous family in El Salvador. Oh, that's and, wild and take pride in the fact that, you know, they were warriors and they were fighters and that that spirit, it's in me and it's going to be in, in my legacy, right? And so I think that's how I sort of take pride in both of my identities. I embrace full, uh, both of them fully. And, you know, I celebrate it in Latinx Hispanic Heritage Month. I have planned several events in my lifetime. I've attended several, I think, Also just listening to the music, the food, teaching about the culture. I think it's a combination of all of this and and also seeing the similarities, right? Haitian culture and Salvadoran culture, they they have similarities and differences, but family is quintessential to to that experience, right? And so, you know, we just got out of the holiday season with with Thanksgiving and and New Year's and Christmas and all that stuff, and I can talk to my son and talk to my, my wife about the principles of Kwanzaa, but at the same time, you know, sing, sing the uh, the songs, I can't, I always mispronounce it, Villancicos? Yeah, yeah. For, for Christmas, right, Singing those with my son and having him, you know, we do the little prayer and, and pass around things and give gifts, and so, I mean, it, it's pretty cool just to, just to be a part of that and, and share that with my son and, and his cousins and all that.
3: That's amazing. I love that. Ty, I had another question for you. Now that you talk about traveling abroad to different countries and comparing, have you seen a difference in how race and ethnicity is perceived in different countries compared to the U.S.?
1: Absolutely. I, I've, I've had the privilege to travel to El Salvador, to, try to travel to Colombia on, on a couple of occasions. I went to Columbia two years ago and, you know, I was very focused on race and it was interesting going to Columbia the first time. And I would ask people like, what's your, how do you understand race? And they would be like, you know, what do you mean race? Um, and then they would, they would reframe it as class. Right. Right. And, and, and that time I went to, um, Cali, Cali, Columbia. Right. The second time I went, uh, two years ago, I went to, I, I went to Santa Marta. And so I, when I landed, everyone I saw was black. And I was just like, what is, like? I, this, is, this is very strange. And so I started to talk to, to those folks around what race is and they're on the coast. And then I started to learn more about the African history in Colombia, and, 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 and so for me, I have found that in Latin America, in, in my experience, I've been to a few Latin American countries, but in my experience, it's been that people may not talk about race in the same ways as we do in the United States, but people frame it as class, or um, or other other social identities, but it's always infused with race. Because then I would I would ask people about you know well if you were to look at the prison system in in certain Latin American country, are the majority of people darker skin or lighter skin? And everybody would say darker skin. I'm just like okay, so you may not name it as race, but race is is, is prevalent. Racial disparities is prevalent in the same way as the United States. But I think people just talk about it in a in a different way because class or caste system or you know are are more prevalent as social identities in 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 my experience within Latin america
2: that's actually something that like for this episode we were doing some some investigation some research on because the history of race in central and south america is so distinct from the u.s you know intermarriage was really normalized almost you know encouraged in certain cases whereas in the u.s it was you know legally banned until what the 50s or the 60s. And so we were looking. And so in within the Spanish, you know, colonies, there were actually 16 different ethnic identities that you could be identified as and they came from, you know, who your parents were. So if you were a child of a native person and a Spaniard, then you were Mestizo. If you were black and Spanish, you were mulatto. And then within all of those, it gets, you know, very, very detailed. So, you know, did you see did you see a lot of that too? Did people throw those words around when you were when you were there?
1: They did use the word mestizo a, a little bit. Um when I was in Santa Marta in Colombia, they uh palen- palenqueros is is a term that they use to describe some of the indigenous African people to Colombia. So that was just interesting to, to hear how people refer to to others as. But you know, I, I think with with language, it's it's always interesting right like I I know that um so my wife uh uh, her parents call her negra Mm -hmm. right and and she's fair-skinned and but this term of endearment and how that you know somebody could see could hear that and and think it's offensive but it's it's not right um and so just understanding that cultural nuance so yeah I did hear different terms while broad um
3: super interesting
0: all right um do you guys have any more questions
3: yeah have you found any difference between the Haitian. Uh, am I saying that, right? I that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, identity and just overall Latinx identity. Haiti having been also part of the French colonies, or is it pretty just like brought together and just engage in the Latinx community? Or do you think there's like a, this this little
1: difference? Yeah, I, th- I think one of the one of the major differences I would say is that. Within Haiti, there is a lot of pride in the fact that it was the first black nation to free themselves from oppression, right? And so I think I, I've seen that, and I've not seen that in ways in El Salvador, right? I've not seen that that same sense of pride. Um, there is a sense of pride for the indigenous communities that exist. So I, I think that's sort of one of the major, I guess, differences. Um, but was your questions around similarities?
3: Yeah, I was just wondering if there were just like differences between the language and just the broader just like Spanish language versus uh, Creole or do you find any differences between that within the community has that caused any breaches that might be difficult to navigate.
1: Yeah, I think obviously both both French and and, and Spanish are love languages right very similar similar words you can hear you you can speak to somebody in French. And if you understand Spanish, you can pick up on some of the words and under and sort of follow along and it's interesting just understanding the history of Creole Creole is actually a slave dialect of French. Because slaves were not allowed to learn, they weren't allowed to be educated, so they tried to mimic their their French masters, which evolved the the Creole language, right? Um, and so in Latin America, you know, people have different dialects as well. You speak different types of Spanish. There's also indigenous languages as well, depending on which region you're from. Um, but I, I found that very fascinating, where you have, you know, you can have somebody from uh, Argentina, somebody from Cuba, somebody from Puerto Rico, say use very different words to describe things, right? And so, I, it's one of the similarities is the evolution of dialect depending on regional area that they've experienced, and so that that certainly is prevalent in Haiti, um, as well as with it all throughout Latin America.
2: So our last question, bringing it back to Elon a little bit, what's the Afro-Latinx population at Elon like? Where, you know, you're the director of the Creed. You see, you know, you kind of know the community, I feel like, really well. Where do you think a lot of those students end up fitting? Do they do they gear more towards the Creed and the Black student programming? Or to El Centro and, like, Latinx student programming? Do they go to both? Yeah.
0: And on top of, I'm sorry, <laughs> have to cut you off, but, like, on top of that question, too, like, is there any, like, way that students that aren't afro-latino can be better support and better allies to those students um in what ways can we
1: you know continue the conversation yeah i'm just going to make a note so i I know to answer both questions around i'm sorry (laughs) good so i'll start with with mckenzie's question first but yeah I, i think where students are i i think it's going to be dependent on where where the individual student finds themselves first how they personally identify and so, like I said earlier, my journey to understanding my both of my racial and ethnic identities has been that it's it has been a journey, right? Um, and so I understand that some students or or you know colleagues even might come to Elon and feel as though they have to choose between one identity and the other, and whichever more embraces them, they will sort of you know lean towards. Um, and so, in my experience students who identify both as Black or Latinx or Afro-Latinx, they're going to go wherever they feel most comfortable. Um, and so this also gets to your point, Nico, about, you know, how do you build stronger bridges and become allies is, you know, and, and I think, you know, we, we already do this uh, in a good way already, but not allowing language to be the barrier Um, and and removing barriers to creating access to, to embracing different communities. I also think about, you know, expanding the breadth of what we understand the Latinx diaspora to be, right? There are Asian Latinx folks, there are Muslim Latinx folks, Jewish Latinx folks. I mean, there's so many type of Latinx folks that if we can be, if we can, eliminate barriers like language I think you'll you'll realize how large the community actually is um, in the same way for the black community I mean I think that you know there's not just one way of, of being black there, there's sort of multiple ways the diaspora transcends time and space I think welcoming folks from different from different backgrounds, um, trying to learn about one another, um, and, I, and I've been a witness to this with the uh, events um, that happen in Los Centro, the events that happen in Creed. That we're not trying to focus on, you know, one stereotypical way of being Latinx or Hispanic or Black, but looking at the variety of different ways th- that those identities exist. I think people, yeah, like I said earlier, I think people will sort of uh, lean to the community they feel most accepted and most comfortable. And that's going to be uh, dependent on factors. It could be language as a factor. It could be a uh, cultural understanding, what they grew up with, what they're accustomed to. Um, so it, it really just depends. Like, you know, when I married my wife, I told her about my customs for for celebrating the holidays. And she was like, well, we sing viancicos and we eat and we and I'm just like, ah, what is that? And so I just, I learned and I sort of embraced it. I'm like, wow, like my understanding of what being Latino is has expanded for myself.
0: And that's like pretty much exactly what we're trying to accomplish with this series on the podcast is that you can learn what those other identities are. Like you were saying, there's so many different types of um, Latinx folks. Like they come from all different types of places with all different types of backgrounds. Um, And we really appreciate you taking the time and talking to us about your identities, how you've, you know, maneuvered your way through life. And, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time and sitting down with us. No problem. Thank you all for having me.
3: Yes, this was wonderful. This was amazing. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week and yeah just make sure to stay safe echale ganas and we will see y'all next week